Well, I invite you to turn with me, if you will, in God's word to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at the first 21 verses, a slightly longer passage this week, Luke chapter uh, 21. Uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Um, and I'm going to read the entire passage at the beginning, uh, and then we'll uh, spend some time in it this morning. Beloved saints, this is God's word. Let us give our undivided attention to the reading of it. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and he, as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away, because it had no moisture, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil, and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. And he, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard when the devil comes, and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Uh, let us ask God's blessing on our time in his word uh, this morning. Our most gracious Lord, you know our hearts, you know that they're prone to wander, slow to understand, that our ears are slow to hear, eyes are slow to see. And so we ask that as we open your word, you would indeed 
give us understanding, give us hearing, give us faith, and that you would cause our lives to be affected by all we hear in your word this morning. Amen. Well, last week, we looked at Jesus' visit to a Pharisee's house, a man named Simon, and we saw the very real danger of stuffing our heads full of knowledge and yet not having love for Jesus. Uh, This will not do. God has made it clear that he wants people who love him, people who understand his grace and respond in, in awe and wonder, who respond with love. And yet there's a danger to go to the other uh, extreme, the opposite side, to unrestrained emotionalism, Uh, a sense of love detached from truth, an approach to Christianity that, that is not rooted and grounded in God's word. Not only is such an approach at odds with God's commands, such an approach is dangerous Because a life that is not rooted in God's word is susceptible to the lies of the enemy and to being overwhelmed by the cares of this world. And so as we look at this parable, this passage this morning, I just really want to drive home one point, and it's this. The only way to weather life's threats and storms is to be deeply rooted in God's word. The only way to weather life's uh, storms and the threats that come to us is to be deeply rooted and grounded in God's word. And to see this, we're going to look at the parable of the sower. And we want to look at the threats that stand opposed to God's word. And then we want to see how Jesus overcomes these and how he calls us to hear and to be firmly grounded in his word. As our passage picks up, Jesus is going from town to town. And as he does, he's proclaiming uh, his word and a great crowd begins to follow him from town to town. They're now building up this crowd. Uh, Some, like the woman we saw last week, are, are deeply moved by his message of grace and forgiveness. And yet the reality is others are simply impressed by his miracles. Uh, They're either longing to be healed or longing to be fed or they simply uh, are impressed by his wonder-working powers and they want to see what miracles he might perform. And so Jesus turns to that crowd and he tells them a parable about a sower who went out to plant seeds. Uh, The parable was about all of those who stood before him, this great crowd that had followed him from town to town. And Jesus is pointing out that despite the common appearance of everyone present, there are some deep and dividing realities among those in that crowd. But the meaning of that parable was not immediately obvious to all who were standing there, not even to the 12 apostles. And so the 12 asked him the meaning of the parable. And Jesus says that he is the sower and, and the seed is his word, his teaching. And the people who hear his word are are represented by different kinds of soils. The soils are people. And from there, he explains three dangers that the seed, his word, faces if it is going to take root and grow and bear fruit. Uh, The sower went out and some of that seed fell along the path. And you can imagine what happened to that seed. Many people come walking along the path. It's heavily traveled. The seed that that fell gets trampled. And what doesn't get trampled and crushed, the the birds come and they, they pick it up and they eat it and they fly away and it's gone. 
the seed that falls along the path doesn't have much hope. And, and so in verse 12, Jesus explains what this means. These are those who hear God's word, and it sounds good. They like what they hear, at least for a while, but their commitment doesn't go deep. And then the enemy comes along, and he whispers lies in their ears. And doubts creep in. And we know what this looks like. It's been going on since the beginning. God told Adam and Eve the, the way of life and what it looked like. But the devil came and he challenged that word. Has God really said, you will not die? Doesn't God want you to be happy? Doesn't he want to share his knowledge with you? Why would he hold his blessings from you? Maybe he's not good. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't have your best interests at heart. The devil won't come up with new lies until these stop working. And they work because they appeal to our vanity. They tell us that we're in charge and, and that we're able to judge good from evil, that, that God must prove himself to us. And so one of the greatest dangers to God's word taking root in your heart and life is your own vanity. Your own assumption that you know the truth better than God that you're a better judge of what's good and evil than God, that you're more gracious and compassionate and kind than God is. Then there are the rocks, verse 6. Some seed fell among these rocks, and these rocks have cracks and crags. They gather dirt and, and water, but not much. Sometimes the seeds spring forth into new growth, but there's not enough soil and not enough water to sustain them. And so these plants quickly die. And this, Jesus tells us, is referring to people who receive God's word with joy, but they have no depth. When everything is going well, it's easy to claim allegiance to God because nothing is challenging that allegiance. It's easy to praise God when life is comfortable, when there's nothing to complain about. But what happens when life gets hard? What happens when trials come and test your faith? Is there enough depth to weather those storms, those seasons of testing? Or do you assume when pain and heartache come that it's proof that God has failed you? If you don't understand God's purpose for hard times, if you don't understand that these are planned and not a surprise, if you don't believe that God cares more about your character than he does your comfort, these storms will rock your world. And the only way to weather such seasons is depth of faith informed by God's word. Shallow faith is, is easy, it's exciting, but it doesn't last. Then there are other seeds, verse 7, that fell among the thorns, which grew up and, and choked these seeds out. In many ways, this is similar to the rocks, but instead of trials and afflictions, the thorns represent the cares of this world. Those might be worries about this life, family, health, lack of money, uh, politics, culture, life, society, uh, work, or it could be a fixation on, on living the easy life, wealth, and pleasure. Whatever the specific issue is, Life is controlled by circumstances. It can't 
see beyond today. It can't see uh, beyond your circumstances. Not that circumstances aren't important. It's that they're not ultimate. When your circumstances define you, you are at their mercy. When times are good, you're flying high and you're unstoppable. When they're hard, you're crushed and you're driven to despair because there's, there's no anchor to keep you from being driven and tossed. And so when, when following, to God does, following God doesn't translate to, to comfort and wealth, and it won't, but when it doesn't, you'll find yourself leaving God behind because you value your comfort more then you value truth. This is uh, the seed that grows up among the thorns. And it's hard to hear about these dangers and, and, and not start to worry. Because which of us is immune to these dangers? Which of us can say, we never listen to the lies of the enemy? Which of us can say that trials don't severely test our faith? that there had never been times when we wondered if our faith would make it or that the pain would simply be too much. Who among us can say that we aren't pulled by our constantly changing circumstances up one day and down the next? Which of us can honestly say that we don't see a, a fragility to our faith? When I read about these dangers, I, I see myself in all of them. The only thing I find myself asking is who isn't susceptible? How can anyone make it through these dangers? Who has hope? And yet things just keep getting harder. Look again at what Jesus says in verses 9 and 10. When the disciples asked him for the meaning of the parable, he first told them that the purpose of the parables is to conceal truth from some. Now, that's shocking. When we think of parables, we tend to think of them as clarifying tools, illustrations, making things simple and understandable. But that's the exact opposite of what Jesus says. As that crowd stood before him, following him for a host of reasons, some honorable and some terrible, he didn't just come out and confront that reality. He told a story about a guy planting seeds and dropping some as he went. Would you, being there, hearing that story, think, maybe I'm like those rocks? Probably not. You'd probably hear his story have no idea where he was headed with it. Think to yourself, interesting story, but I already knew that, that seeds struggle to grow when they are dropped along paths. I, I wonder who he's going to heal next, or, or maybe he'll feed us this time. Jesus is admitting that he's not making things easier. He's making them harder. And now we're really wondering if there's any hope. But that shouldn't be shocking. The sower didn't intend to plant seeds on the path or, or among the rocks or among the thorns. Those weren't his targets. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that their growth is superficial. Jesus is saying that this is how his ministry is. He targets some and not others. Some who follow are just following because of dropped seed. But we're still left asking what hope there is for us 
when there are so many impediments that stand against God's word taking root in our lives. And the hope is not in us, it's in the sower, it's in Jesus. When he, when he talks about the seed and the good soil producing a hundredfold, he's actually echoing Genesis 26, where it says that Isaac planted, and that very year he reaped a hundredfold, and it says this, because the Lord blessed him. In other words, Jesus is, is, is referencing a verse that says growth of this sort only happens by the Lord's intervention, the Lord's blessing, not through our own hard work and endeavors. Because by ourselves, none of us is good soil. None of us has ears to hear unless the Lord does something. Every one of us would be powerless against the dangers that threaten to silence God's word in our hearts and our lives unless God does something to help us. And so Jesus got between us and those dangers he lists in the parable. Jesus allowed the devil to whisper lies in his own ears, and yet he didn't budge for one second. We saw this in chapter four. He would later on the cross wither for lack of thirst. He would cry out, I thirst on the cross. He would be parched for our sakes. And he would be surrounded that day on the cross by thorns until the life was choked out of him. Now, none of this is to say that these dangers would choke the word of God within him. Rather, Jesus identifies with, the weak, with our weaknesses and he endures the dangers in order that he might rescue us from those dangers. And so like a seed, he fell to the ground. He suffered all sorts of trials. The enemy came and he whispered lie after lie in his ear. He endured and he overcame so that he might claim us as his own, rescue us from all of those dangers. And so that, so that he might care for us and strengthen us. And he made us his so that we might hear his word and have it take root. So that we might bear fruit a hundredfold in our lives. And so who did he come for? If Jesus makes it clear that some are given the mysteries of the kingdom, if he has made it clear that, that others are not given understanding, but hearing, they will not hear. If he has spoken in such a way so as to help some and not others, we have to ask, who does he give understanding to? Who is on his VIP list? To whom does he make the secrets of the kingdom known? One might expect that list to be full of, of kings and dignitaries, the rich, the influential, the A-listers. Or maybe we should expect nepotism would kick in and, and his relatives would be shown special treatment, his parents, his siblings, his cousins, his aunts, his uncles. That's why you have to love how this passage uh, begins and ends. In a day when women didn't typically make headlines, Luke lists out three women who are a part of Jesus' inner circle. You have Mary Magdalene, who had previously been possessed by demons. And then there's Joanna, there's Susanna. And then there was the sinful woman last week that we met at Simon's house. These are the ones that Jesus came to save. These are the ones he counts as important. These are the ones he endured trampling and thirst and thorns for. These are the ones with whom he shares the kingdom. In fact, he considers them more family than his own 
flesh and blood. And the end of the at the end of the passage, someone let Jesus know that his mother and his brothers were trying to get through the crowd to see him. And his response was simply, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's not saying that you earn your way into his family through some sort of moralistic law keeping. Rather, what he is saying is that in addition to love, a reverence for the word of God defines those who are his, those who are, who are his family. And so while we need to understand that we are not good soil on our own and that we can't make ourselves good, we also need to understand that this passage teaches us that, that Jesus comes after the, the weak and the lowly and the hurting. Those who aren't known in society. And he claims them as their own. And he calls those to have a very high esteem and reverence for his word. Beloved, the temptations will ever be before the church to ignore part of the Bible to pass judgment on part of it because it was written in a different, less enlightened age, or to excuse uh, this because it's part of the Old Testament, or to believe that, that the Bible is man's word that reflects truth but has some errors. The temptation will always be to dismiss, ignore, or reject this part or that. And Jesus says doing that is like having a light only to hide it. Because God's word is meant to give light to all of our life. Why would you ever light a light, and then cover it, only to stumble about in the darkness. So Jesus says to you today, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus gives you this promise that the more you listen, the more you will understand. The more you turn a deaf ear, the less you will understand the more you allow yourself to be controlled and directed by God's word, the less you will stumble in the darkness. And so, yes, you must love Jesus. Last week's passage made that clear, but you, you cannot truly love Jesus and not love his word. You must strive to listen to it, to submit to it. Look at how verse 15 describes this. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Hearing God's word well means listening in honesty, which is a lot harder than any of us wants to admit. Because honesty admit, it means admitting our weaknesses and our failures. It means admitting our doubts, our vanity, and our tendency to be defined, defined by our circumstances. Honesty, honesty means acknowledging that that God is always right. And when it seems that there's no possible way he can be right, it means remembering that always means always. And all of this means that there will be seasons of testing. That means that money will not always be abundant, that life will not always be pleasant, that, that relief will not always come quickly. And so you need to be patient because no harvest worth having ever grew overnight. A given time, nurture and care God's word always produces a hundredfold. And so the only way to weather life's threats and storms is to be deeply rooted in God's word.
After all, why would it be any different for us than it was for Jesus, the sower? All he gained, he gained through patience. He endured seasons of testing. He had no wealth to speak of. His life was not spent chasing fleeting pleasures, but oh, what he accomplished. As Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And so in order for us to not forget this, every week the Lord calls us to open up his words so that we might be reminded of what our Savior endured for our sakes. To remind us of the price he paid to make us good soil and to remind us that he has called us to take up our cross and to follow him. The world makes so many promises of riches and comfort and meaning and happiness, but it never delivers. If you have ears to hear, you hear a better promise, one that cannot fail, a promise that sounds like this. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Or perhaps it sounds like this. Everyone who believes in me will not be put to shame. Amen. Let's ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Father, you know the dangers we face. You know how frail our faith is. When it depends upon us, there is no hope. So we ask that you would let your word find fertile soil in our hearts, that it would go deep and that it would take root, that it would thrive and that it would bear fruit a hundredfold. We thank you that Jesus endured all this, these dangers for us and that he protects us from danger by putting himself in between us and the threats, between us and the storms. Help us to be honest. Help us to be patient. Help us to be people of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.